if you have a Bible today, I want you to open to John, or third John, excuse me, chapter one and in verse two. And I want to talk to you a little bit today about winning the battle for your soul, winning the battle for your soul. And whether you know it or not, your soul is influencing absolutely everything in your life right now. Everything that's happening in your world, in your life is completely influenced by the condition, by the state of your soul. Very, very familiar portion of scripture in 3 John 1, 2. And here's what it says. It says, Beloved, I pray, uh, I pray my prayer for you is that you may prosper in all things and in health, even as your soul prospers. So there's a correlation with prospering and being in health with your soul prospering. And sometimes we put more of an emphasis on the other things. When God says, well, I want, that, I want you to, to, to prosper. I want you to be in health. But it's in direct correlation with the health and the condition of your soul. So that leads me to my main takeaway point. I'm just going to give it to you right from the top. Is that the health and prosperity of your soul is the most important thing in your life. Say that again. The health and prosperity of your soul is the most important thing in your life. To a lot of people, when we talk about the soul, the soul can kind of seem as this mystical, weird part of us that we don't quite understand. And, uh, but the problem with that is, is if your soul is healthy, you can get through anything. Come on, somebody. If your soul is healthy, you can get through anything. So the best thing we can do as people is, is have a healthy soul. If we want healthy relationships with those around us, the best thing that we can do is have a healthy soul. If we're going through struggles and difficulties and it just seems like the world is caving in around us and there's trials and battles on every side, the best thing that you can do in those moments is pause for a second and make sure that your soul is in a healthy place and it's in a healthy condition. Because if your soul's right, everything else will be right. Come on, somebody. Because many times we, we have problems in a relationship and we're waiting for the other person to apologize, to get it right, to see that they were wrong and that you're right and you have more wisdom and whatever you're waiting on. But the reality is what God's waiting on is for you to make sure that your soul is right. I want to give you really quick just three things to know about your soul. Because as I said, to some people, the soul can be uh, mysterious or mystical, but the soul, number one, is the center of yourself. It's the core, it's the center of yourself. I've taught this before, but you are a three-part being. You have a soul, you are a spirit, and you live in a body. Your body is not eternal. Your body stays here when you go to heaven. That's why the Bible, uh, Paul uh, says in scripture that the the body is like a tent. It's a temporary house for your soul and your spirit to dwell in. Your, Your tent, your body will go back to dust, but your spirit and your soul will live forever. So number two, your soul is a part of your eternal self. So what is soul? Soul, number three, is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Come on, somebody. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. I want to say this to you real quickly. The Holy Spirit is not your emotions. The Holy Spirit is not your emotions. Two very different things. Sometimes in charismatic church, we get those confused. Well, pastor, I felt something. Great. I feel a lot of things. Doesn't mean it's God. Doesn't mean it's the Holy Spirit. It means you have emotions and you feel things, and, and we have to learn to know the difference if we want to really make sure we have a, a right understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and we have a right understanding of our, our soul. But the Holy Spirit comes alongside us and he strengthens our soul. The Holy Spirit lifts our soul and the Holy Spirit teaches our soul. So 
your soul is a part of your will. Well, Pastor, I'm weak in this certain area of my life. I can't seem to get victory in this certain area. Well, guess what? God can strengthen your will. I know I'm laying a lot of groundwork for you today, but we'll get somewhere shouting, I promise. But the Holy Spirit will come alongside of you and strengthen your will. Your will to do good. Your will. How many of you, you're in church, you know, on a Sunday morning at the end of summer. Come on, I know you want to do good. I know you want to follow God. I know you want to be right. I, I know you're in pursuit of God. But how many of you, if you're like me, sometimes you're in pursuit, but there's an area where it just feels like you can't get victory. And what we tend to do is just say, well, that's who I am. Well, because that's what I feel. Well, no, the Holy Spirit will come alongside us and help strengthen our will, our will to do good, our will to read the Bible, our will to pray, our will to bless those who persecute us. All those good things, the Holy Spirit will come alongside of us and strengthen our will. So again, if you have a healthy soul, your, your, your conversation when difficulty invades your life will be less like God, they, God, they, God, they, and more like Holy Spirit, help me, strengthen me, build up my will, make me long-suffering, give me patience. I'm preaching pretty good this morning, whether you shout me down or not. So if you're struggling to read or even understand the Bible, if you're struggling in the area of your prayer life, what it really is, is a deficiency of soul. It's a deficiency in your soul, in your mind, your will, and your emotions. Because emotionally, I don't want to pray. I want to call everybody else up and tell them what happened and get them to get on my side. Right? Emotionally, I just want to put on Netflix and eat three gallons of ice cream and just call it a day. Emotionally... But what do I need? I need to recognize that those emotions are a part of my soul, not the Holy Spirit. But what I need is I need the Holy Spirit to come in, strengthen those emotions, strengthen my will, and move me out of my flesh, right? Move me out of my soulless realm and move me into my spirit realm. All right, somebody. This will help us when we get in difficulty. So quit saying, I can't. And start saying, the Holy Spirit will help me. The Holy Spirit will strengthen me. Nobody quite understands all scripture ever. But especially when you start diving into the word, sometimes you're reading things. You're like, I have no idea. Listen, you just pray that the Holy Spirit awakens your mind and gives you understanding, gives you revelation. And you just keep reading. And you keep saying, Holy Spirit, help me understand this. Holy Spirit, help me reveal this to me. I'll never forget the, one of the first times I really felt like I got revelation on my own, not from listening to somebody else's preaching. I was uh, working in the city of Lancaster at a bank, and on my break, I was reading a verse of scripture, and I don't even remember what it was now, but something jumped out on me. And it was the first time in my life I was like, I never saw this, and nobody ever told me this. This was like the Holy Spirit. And I remember walking 10 feet high out of work that day, just overwhelmed because I got revelation from the Holy Spirit. This is a good thing. I, I didn't understand it before, but now I'm starting to understand. So sometimes, even when it's hard to pray or it's hard to read your Bible or it's hard to love other people, your solution is say, Father, help my soul be right, strengthen my will, strengthen my emotions, and he'll come and help you. The Holy Spirit will help you to have the willpower to say yes to God and no to the devil. So I don't know about you, but I want to be more faithful. I want to be more consistent. I want to be more generous. I want to be all that God has called me to be. So the growing in your will to do the things that are consistent with what you want to be in God's calling on your life is a matter of soul. Not a matter of God. No, it's quiet, but just take this in for a minute. God's not holding out on you. It's never 
on God's side. He's no respecter of persons. He, he, he blesses all equally. He, he desires that you prosper and be in health. But, but he's making sure that before you can get there, your soul has to be in a right place. Or otherwise, your soul will fall under the weight of the blessings. Come on, somebody. So whenever there's, it seems like a holdup on God's side, what we need not to do is say, well, God must love them more because he did it for them, or God must, you know, he, they're his favorite. What we need to do is say, Lord, where in my soul needs to be aligned and readjusted so that I can be trusted with what you already died at Calvary to give me? Because it's not that he's holding back. It's that something in me is stopping the blessings from coming. So it's all in here. Everybody just say it's in here. here. So for the rest of our time today, I want to give you three things that your soul needs. Number one, your soul needs to be read. Number two, your soul needs to be led. And number three, your soul needs to be fed. I'll break them down for a minute. Your soul needs to be read. Psalms 43, verse 5. This is David, and he's reading his soul. Do you know what I mean by that? There's this new term when people are like, you're going to read somebody. You're going to tell them about themselves. I'll read you. I'll tell you about yourself. And this is really what David's doing in Psalms 43, verse 5. He's reading his soul. He's telling him his soul about himself. And here's what he says. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. Hope in God. It's almost like he's grabbing his soul by the collar and saying, Soul, why are you downcast? What's wrong with you? Get yourself together. What kind of problems you got? Why are you downcast? I love that he kind of pulls himself out and speaks about himself in the third person. He's just like, Soul... What's going on with you? Why are you downcast? Have you ever felt like that? Like things are going good in your life and the Lord's been good and he's been faithful, but sometimes you just feel discouraged even when there's nothing to be discouraged about. And there's this weight that comes. So David says, I got to read my soul. I got to tell my soul what's up. I got to tell my mind, my will, and my emotions that they aren't in control. I got to tell my feelings, you don't conquer me. The goodness of God isn't based on my feelings. I have to elevate my feelings to match the goodness of God. Come on, somebody. No one knows what's going on on the inside of you, but you and God. You and God. So the first step to a better soul, a healthy soul, is to learn to actually talk to your soul. It's to get outside of your soul and talk to it almost like it's your inner child. Come on, any parents know what I'm talking about. You try to get your uh, you know, one-year-old dedicated on a, at a church and he's uh, hitting and throwing his bank. And if you weren't here last Sunday, you, you missed it. But... And what do you want to do? You want to step out of that situation and say to your one-year-old, get it together now. Any other parents talk to your kids like that? We're going to go in here and you better smile. Do you understand me? And I don't know why we say it like that, like with our teeth closed, but do you understand me? But we do it to our young children and our teen children. But sometimes we got to do it to our own soul. Like, come on, this is the day that the Lord has made, and you get it together. You get up, you put a smile on your face, you go bless people, you go pray for people, you serve God in this moment. I don't know what's wrong with you, but if you don't get it together, I promise when we get home. <laughs> promise. I will put you on a six-day fast. Don't mess with me today. There was this meme that Sarah had sent me. It was one of the really hot days. <coughs> Excuse me. And it said something like, it's over 90 degrees out, so hydrate and watch how you talk to me today. <laughs> and I love that because that's how it is some days. It's, it's hot, watch how you talk to me. 
And some days you have to be like that with your soul. Just, just watch how you talk to me today, soul, because it's, it's going to get real. So soul, why are you feeling sorry for yourself? Soul, why are you feeling jealous? Soul, it's been three days and you've been irritated. Knock it off. Soul, why are you being stubborn? Sometimes this is so simple, but it's so hard for us to grasp because it's the exact opposite of what our culture would teach us. Our culture teaches us that if it's what you feel, then it's your truth. So the world has equated feeling with absolute truth. We can be in the same, you know, the same room and the same thing happen. But no one's to blame and no one's at fault because your truth is your truth and how I felt in the moment, that's my truth. Well, sometimes that's just not true. Sometimes one of you just were an idiot and the other one was right. It just, you know... (laughs) Regardless of how you feel about it, sometimes you were just plain wrong. So this is hard for us to grasp sometimes because the world teaches if it's how you feel, then it's your truth and you have right to your truth. Absolutely. But if you want to go through life on like a roller coaster up and down and in and out, led by every whim of emotion that comes your way, have at it. But the life that God has promised for you, one of stability, one of success, one of blessing, one that you're passing down from generation to generation, the blessing of God, you're breaking generational curses, you're leaving the next generation better than you found it and you came into it. Come on, if that's the life that you want, then you have to understand just because we feel it doesn't mean that it's true. Well, my grandfather was that way and my father was that way. We just all, you know, we got that short temper. We got that short fuse. Watch me, bro. (laughs) Well, no, that's just a lame excuse for you not being able to control your soul. What that means is there's a generational curse that your grandfather had, that your father had, and you are now refusing to deal with. So guess what? Your sons and your daughters are going to have to rise up one day and deal with the same junk because you would not put a stop to it in your lifetime. Bible says that before we came to God, our spirits were dead in sin. So if you understand, we are... A spirit, it's who we are. We are a spirit. We possess a soul, which is our mind, will, and emotions, and we live in a body. So before we came to God, our spirit man was dead in sin, which means there was nothing to combat the drive of our emotions and our mind and our unredeemed will. But now we've come to God. We've come to an altar, we confess him as Lord, and we've given him our hearts, and he comes in, and he revives our spirits, and we are born again. Now, our spirit man has been resurrected. Now, everything is shifted. Because now we're not supposed to live a life after the flesh, after our mind, our will, and emotions. Now, we're supposed to live a life after our spirit. But we spent years and decades following our flesh and not our spirit. So you understand, when a new believer comes, there's a struggle. Sometimes a lifeline. You know, the Holy Spirit's always revealing something new. So we have to make that transition. That just because we feel something, or we think something, doesn't mean that it's true, and it doesn't mean that's who I am. Reading your soul is having an awareness of your inner self. It's an awareness of your thoughts, your attitudes, your feelings, your motives, your desires. The Bible says to make careful exploration of who you are. I'll say it to you this way. You have to know yourself to grow yourself. You have to know yourself to grow yourself. Actually, there's a study that shows 90% of people label themselves as being self-aware, when in reality, only about 10 to 15% actually are. So what that means is 75% of us who think we're self-aware are not. And I'm not here trying to judge you whether you're self-aware or you're not self-aware, but what I'm saying is statistically, 
you probably have some blind spots. I probably have some blind spots. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to reveal to us that's a blind spot to you. And if you don't deal with that in that area of your life, you can go around the mountain a hundred times. I don't know about you, but I don't want to excel in five areas of my life and have just those three that are just, you know. It's like when the Israelites came into the promised land. And they came to the city of Jericho. You know, they conquered some massive cities. They, they overthrew some big governments. But Jericho was actually the second to smallest city that they were ever to conquer. But the interesting thing about Jericho is because it was so small, its walls were so well fortified that it was almost impossible to get through. So thick, actually, that the Bible says that they could actually have chariot races around the top of the walls. So sometimes when you're trying to possess your promised land and move into the fullness of God, it's easy to say, well, I'll just let Jericho alone. It's small. It's insignificant. But the longer you let it alone, the more well-fortified its walls become. And now you need supernatural breakthrough in order to get that thing down because you've left it so long that the walls have become so grown that apart from God intervening in your life in a powerful way, you're never fully possessed the promised land. There'll always be Jericho. I want it all. I want to sound mind, I want to sound will, I want to sound emotions, I want to prosper in my health, I want to prosper in my relationships, I want to prosper in my finances, every aspect that God has called me to prosper, and I want it all. Amen. Another thing that we need to be aware of is that our soul naturally holds negativity. Our soul has this tendency to hold negativity. It's almost like your soul is Velcro to negativity and Teflon to the good. You ever watch like oil or butter and Teflon? It just beads out and goes everywhere. But this Velcro, it's like anything negative. It just, it, it absorbs something happened to you. And it's like that Velcro, it just, it just comes. And it, what's interesting is you can have 10 compliments Oh, wow, you look great. You're doing good. Oh, your hair looks wonderful. But that one person comes in with one negative thing, and what do you walk out remembering? The one negative thing. Right? Why? Because that's just the natural state of our soul, and maybe it's because of the fall in the garden and our sin nature. I don't know. But it's like we have this tendency to absorb everything negative and push off anything good. Why? Because our soul holds negativity. And there's some of us here today that something happened to us at some point in our life, at a season of our life, but it's been 20 years. And our souls are still holding on to what happened back there. And it continues to impact and influence our lives today. That's not God. To allow something to occupy 20 years of our life, our space. Some of you were wounded in a relationship and it has bled into every relationship that you've tried to have moving forward. The pain was real, the hurt was real, but at some point you have to say, oh my soul, why so downcast? Oh my soul, it's a new day. It's a new, new season. God's a good God. And we have to be careful to make sure that our souls don't reject the good. Your wife can say something good and it just kind of rolls off. We tend to not hold on to the good as nearly as we do the bad. Actually, research shows that even children at an early age struggle with this. A teacher can say to their student, hey, you know, you're doing a great job. I believe in you. You're smart. You, you know, I be, that's why I pull so much from you because I believe you have the mental capacity to do great things. And the response many times is, well, you have to say that you're my teacher. That's why as parents, you know, we can pour into our kids and their, their natural response is, well, you have to say that. You have to say that I'm the best. You're my mom. You're my dad. That's why sometimes, you know, it, you, you People can say, well, you know, he's just a, a, you know, he's a word of faith preacher, but he preaches positivity. Absolutely. 
Because I understand of all the things coming at us, the majority are negative, and that's what we're retaining. And the small little bit of good that you're hearing throughout the week and throughout your life is just kind of rolling off. So I have to come in, and the church has to come in, and i got to try to counteract in 45 minutes everything that you've been believing about yourself all week long to remind you of the promises of God, to remind you of the goodness of God, to remind you that, that your identity isn't rest in what you believed about yourself, what you felt about yourself. Your identity doesn't rest in your mind. No, but let that sink in for a minute. Because we believe we are how we see ourselves. That's how we equate our value. I can see myself as the dirtiest, lowly dog that ever walked the face of the earth. But it doesn't change the reality of my value that God looked at me and saw so much value that he came and died on the cross just for me. So though I may feel less than, my mind might tell me you're worthless. The reality of this situation is I am so valuable that God chose to leave all of heaven, all of its riches, all of its power behind to come and walk this earth so that he could have a redeemed relationship with just me. So however I feel tomorrow, whatever my mind says about me tomorrow, whatever the mirror tries to communicate with me, I got to step back for a minute and say, I don't care what all of that says. I know in the eyes of God, and that's the truth. The book's right and everything else is wrong. The book's right and my mind is wrong. The book's right and my emotions are wrong. The book's right because my soul is wrong. So I have to evaluate my value and my intelligence and who I am out of what God says about me and not even what I say about me. That's why the Bible is so clear in Philippians 4.8. When he reminds us, brothers, sisters, whatever's true, just stop right there. Whatever is true, whatever's true about you, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever is pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What is he speaking to? Mind, will, and emotions. Think about these things. He's speaking to the soul. Soul, whatever's true, whatever's just, whatever's lovely, whatever's a good report, whatever's pure, whatever's commendable, whatever's excellent. Soul, think about those things. That's why we got to get good at reading our soul and doing a soul check because my soul isn't thinking about good things. My soul has a tendency to wonder. That's why in your Bible, there's a whole lot of remembers and forgets in your Bible. Remember the good, remember the good, remember the good. The whole Jewish faith is filled with remembering the good. Every celebration, every Passover, everything is all built around the storytelling so that they would remember as a people that even when they were scattered from their own nation, I feel this this morning, that even when they were sent out into the wilderness and had no nation of their own, if they would just remember the good that God did and they would remember that God parted the Red Sea for them, if they would remember that he brought them into the land of promise, if they would just remember the good, eventually God would fulfill his word and they would come back together as a nation as they did and so sometimes when we are cast out in our own lives and in our own seasons into the wilderness into a dry place into a hard time that's when you got to buckle down and say but God's good God's good. God's good. He's faithful. He's good. Don't you remember what he did then? Don't you remember how he brought you through that situation? Don't you remember when you walked the halls at night because you didn't think you were going to make it to the morning? Don't you remember when your babies were so sick that you were praying on your knees that God would raise them up and he did? Don't you remember when you didn't have a dollar to change but somehow you're still here? God made a way. He, brought, he parted the sea for you. Don't you remember when the doctor came in with a bad report and said, surely you will die and not live but here you are to see another day. When we begin to remember the goodness of God, it will sustain us in hard seasons. 
That's why Philippians 3.13, he says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Out of it all, one thing I make sure that I do. I forget what lies behind. I forget the negativity. I forget what they said about me. I forget how that abuse hurt me. I forget about what they, how they made me feel. I forget how they took my promotion and how they took my job. I forget all that is behind me that is negative, And I press forward to what lies ahead. I love that. In all of his writings, Paul's writings, he says, one thing that I do, which is saying one thing that is most important, he says, I could go back to the shipwrecks. I, I could go back to the imprisonments. I could go back to the beatings. I could go back to the hard times. I could go back to being cast out of the cities for preaching the gospel. I could dwell there. I could make myself a victim for the gospel and feel sorry for myself and feel depressed about myself and feel like God forsook me. But one thing that I do is I forget all that happened before. Amen. And I step into a fresh day as a new day. And I tell my soul, God is good, and he's faithful, and he brought me through, and he'll be faithful now. So the Bible is instructing us to be managers of our soul. So why are we talking about that? I've been talking about faith for a few weeks, living a life of faith, understanding what faith is. So why am I talking about this? I felt led to go in this direction today because... I think if we don't understand this principle of guarding our soul, then we will think that at every whim of emotion, the reality of our faith is affected. What I mean by that is, I've been there. You leave a church service or you get a scripture and it's like you're riding high, cloud nine. You know, it's all good. It's coming in by faith. God's going to turn the situation around. But now it's Wednesday afternoon. And the emotions are gone. Why? Because emotions is a part of my soul and that changes. So the emotions are gone. And now I feel sad. And I feel depressed about the situation. And what I believe God said to me three days ago now seems like everything's going in the opposite direction. And what do I want to do? I want to walk around and say, well, it didn't work out. I tried to have faith for it and it didn't happen for me. And, you know, God just might not love me. And this faith thing doesn't work for me. And I don't know what to do with this church situation. Because what's wrong is it's not that your faith is wrong. It's that you're giving your, your soul too much power. I don't care how I feel Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I'll think about what's true. That all of the promises of God are yes and amen. Dodie Osteen wrote in her book, Healed from Cancer, uh, that she had gotten a bad report from the doctors. They told her she was going to die. And, you know, she she was believing by faith for a miracle and for healing. And on a random day, trying to be high faith, she broke down and wept and very emotional. And she got concerned because she thought, is my faith not working? And she said the Holy Spirit spoke to her and said, your faith is just fine. You're just having an occasion of the flesh. Which I love that perspective. Because what the devil would try to do is because her flesh got tired. I mean, your flesh gets tired. Her flesh got tired and her emotions, ain't nothing wrong with emotions. We have to have emotions. God's given us emotions. But her emotions were coming out. But having your emotions coming out or having what she called an occasion of the flesh did not discredit where her faith was. And that's what I want us to see is because if we're standing in faith and we're believing God for certain things in our life and we're pressing in in faith just because you don't feel it today and it doesn't feel all hyped up and it doesn't feel emotional and you don't feel like you're on cloud nine doesn't mean that it's not working. It just means your spirit is trapped in this tent body with this horrible thing called a soul that has these emotions that go everywhere. And besides that, I have my own mind that's going a thousand different directions trying to piece it together. And then I'm a very willful person, so then I'm trying to make stuff happen on my own. So despite all of that going on inside of me, I have to rest that my faith is working. That's why I want to bring this up. Because I don't want you to get discouraged in your faith. That just because you don't feel it doesn't mean it's not working. 
So number two, your soul needs to be led. Don't leave your soul without leadership. Let's make, our, let's make sure that our soul is in a place where it's being led by a healthy leader. Let's make sure we talk to our soul, speak to our soul, encourage our soul. Again, why so downcast, oh my soul? The second half of that verse, David goes on to write, yet will I praise you. Yet will I praise you. My soul's in trouble, yet will I praise you. My emotions are jacked up, but yet I will praise you. My mind and my will are all over the place today, yet will I praise you. Recognize the difference. It's like the first half of that scripture, he's reading his soul. Why so downcast, O my soul? But then the second half of that scripture, he starts to lead his soul. Put your hope in God. Yet I'll praise him. Put your hope in God. There's another place in the Psalms where David writes. I thought this was interesting. He says, my soul is like a child weaned from its mother. And one of the commentaries I read about that says, a child not yet weaned embraces his mother with the thought of food and immediate satisfaction. Food and immediate satisfaction. Wow. If we're not careful, we can try to make God like our genie in a bottle where rub him and he'll grant you three wishes. I'm hungry, immediate satisfaction. But David says, that's not a right place to be. When a child becomes, begins to get weaned from his mother... It means that he, it's growing. It's maturing. When an infant cries, the right thing for a parent to do is say, oh, you're hungry or you pooped, one or the other. And we all do both, spiritually. <laughs> right, and that's fine. When a baby's crying, you go get the bottle, you soothe it, you do all of that. But that's a problem if your eight-year-old is you know, crying and you have to go feed him. Yeah. <laughs> Why? Because there's a point in the life of a child Where to be a good parent, the parent has to say, now you have to transition. I can't spoon feed you anymore. Why? Because if you're going to live a successful life, you have to have, there have to be some things that you can do on your own. And the same thing is true with our spirit walk, our spirit man and our, our, our Christian walk. Is when we come to God, yeah, we're being spoon fed. I mean, Sunday mornings, it's like a smorgasbord. But there comes a point where just Sunday morning sermons don't just cut it anymore. People, I, I don't go to that church anymore. They don't feed me. I wasn't being fed there. Okay, well, I mean, you got two hands, two eyes. Open the book. Because there's a part that you should be maturing as a believer where it's not like you have to be spoon-fed. Where it's like, like that infant where it said instant gratification. Where if God didn't do it the minute that I prayed and I turned around and bam, there was the check in the mail. Well, then it's just not going to work for me. And what do we do? We throw a temper tantrum and we scream and we do all that we're doing out of the realm of our flesh. But Paul's saying and David's saying, listen, we have to mature. You have to know where there's meat. That's why at one point he says, Paul says, I fed you on the milk of the word. But there's a transition. You got to be able to dig into this book and get the meat for yourself. Because I have found that the biggest victories I've had in my life actually didn't happen in a room like this, in a sanctuary somewhere. The biggest victories I've had in my life were 3 a.m. walking through our living room with my hand raised, crying out to God for breakthrough. That's where I've seen God work the biggest in my life. No, no prayer team was there, and Levi and the worship team weren't there hitting all the right chords and building me up. It was just me and just God. But if you can't do that, then your soul will be subject to every wind of every problem that comes into your world. So we have to be careful when we think thoughts like, 
no one's going to help me or nobody talked to me today and I've been attending this church for years and nobody appreciates me. These are soulish things. Your soul will misbehave. It's like the psalmist is saying, I'm so thankful. And really, it's almost like a godly pride. He says that my soul learned that I am no longer going to go along with little sensitivities and all of the drama that comes with it. I don't know about you, but the older I get, the less patience I have for drama, my own included. Doesn't it just wear you out quicker? It's like, I just, sometimes I just don't have energy anymore for that. It's like, I don't, then they did what they did. I don't know what to tell you. It's not a great thing to hear your pastor say, but sometimes that's how I feel. So I don't know what to tell you. They did what they did. Either you stay there or you move on. But uh, <laughs> I'm learning. But what I can't do is I can't let my inner child, my inner soul, rule me anymore. God's my strength. He's my help. My help comes from the Lord. I have everything that I need. He's not held back anything good from me. So what am I cast down about? I didn't get the job. All right, well, then he has something better in store for me. So in my mind, it can be like, that was the perfect thing. God says, no, you don't need that. I learned this a long time ago, that anything that God removes from your life, as painful as it is, it's all because you did not need it to fulfill the plan and the purpose of God. Well, God, how am I going to do it without the job? God said, you didn't need it. You have me. Well, well God, they, they were my best friend. They were my strength. They were my source. They were my go-to person. You didn't need them. You're relying on them too much. You have me. Anytime something leaves your life, you can sit and you can mourn and you can cry and you can throw up your hands and you can weep. And there's emotions that come with change. There's feelings that we need to process through. And I'm not saying that we discredit those. But what I'm saying is at the end of the day, we have to resolve within ourselves. Though my soul hurts because of the situation, though my soul hurts because I didn't get the job or that person left me, I'm, I'm resolved within myself that God has got me. And if it left my life, it's because I never needed it to begin with. As I'm closing this down today, there is a story of a rancher who had noticed that his prized horse was acting really strange and irritable. And as he began to inspect the horse and he looked at its leg, he, he saw that the horse had bruised it and was bleeding on his leg. And he realized that the horse at some point had probably ran into a fence and, or kicked the fence and he hurt his leg. So the, the rancher bandaged the leg and was, you know, kind and gentle the horse for a few days, but he realized the horse wasn't getting any better. So he called a vet to come in and look at the horse, and the vet couldn't figure out what was going on, so they decided that they had to put the horse to sleep, not like that sleep, but just to sleep, so that he could inspect it even more. And what the vet discovered is that though on the outside it looked like it was just a bruise on the horse's leg. When the horse had kicked the fence, a splinter, a big piece of wood had lodged itself into the leg of the horse. So on the outside, it just looked like a bruise, but on the inside, there was some real damage that was done. Can I tell you the same thing can happen to us? We can run into some fences. We can get banged up and bruised up. And we can have these lingering wounds that just kind of stay with us underneath the surface of our life. They're just there. Not apparent to everybody, but we feel it. We know it. It's there. And it's not that we're not functional. We can be around people. But there's this thing that just kind of permeates into every experience that we have. Maybe you ran into a fence of rejection. Somebody rejected you along the way. It's a deep wound, a hard thing. And it's kind of permeated every experience that you had. This underlying feeling that you have to perform, you have to 
be the best or otherwise people will reject you. If they really knew the real you, they would reject you. And it's just kind of held there. Can I tell you that this is why it is so important towards healing to learn to lead our soul. To lead our soul. Because the reality is, is we can't avoid being hurt. We've been hurt. You will be hurt. But the thing is, we don't have to stay hurt. We have the word of God. We have the strength of God. We have the Holy Spirit, who even, as he did, Jesus sent ministering angels to minister strength to Jesus. You know he can do that for us, too? Like, there's no discouragement, no pain, no physical problem where God's not just saying, I want to bring healing and restoration into your life. But sometimes it requires some sort of surgery or extraction. Sometimes it requires, and listen to this, for us to get to the place where we say, I'm not going to talk about it anymore. I'm not going to talk about it anymore. My soul needs me to go quiet on that. Why? Because what I rehearse in my mind, remember we, we learned that what you imagine in your mind is a picture of faith. So when I constantly rehearse, that person rejected me, they rejected me, they rejected me. What are you building in yourself? A faith picture that you will be rejected. So unbeknownst to you, you have put your faith on the fact that everyone will reject you. So sometimes we just have to get to the place where it's like, you know what? I've forgiven all that I can forgive. I'm just making a decision. I'm not going to talk about it anymore. I have to go quiet on that. My soul needs me to go away from rehearsing and, and, and constantly nursing that wound. My soul needs me to start confessing and declaring the promises of God in my life. My soul needs me to lead it right now so that it doesn't linger there. My soul needs me to not bring other broken relationships into my current ones. Anyone who's been through divorce and remarriage knows the difficulty of that, of constantly, well, you know what happened to me and that's how they were and that's how you're going to be. Is if you're not careful, you can bring the, the, the damage and the wounding from a previous relationship and destroy a perfectly good one. That yeah. yeah. sometimes you just have to say, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm not living there anymore. Amen. If it comes up, I'll forgive. The same as that people say, well, pastor, I have a hard time forgiving because it still hurts. Soul, mind, will, emotion. Remember the occasion of the flesh. Thinking of a situation and it's still bringing an emotion of pain doesn't mean you didn't forgive. Why? Because that's a feeling. Forgiveness isn't a feeling thing. Forgiveness is a decision thing. Amen. So when I think of a certain person, my soul can go, Ugh. nope. But I have to overcome my soul and say, nope. I forgive them. I forgive them. And I'm moving on. Understand forgiving somebody doesn't always mean that you have to enter back into relationship just as it was before. Yeah. You've heard this said that when people show you who they are, sometimes you just believe them. So sometimes you have, my mom used to say, I, I love them, but I love them from afar. I love you from back there. Hey, but I can't do life with you. Why? Because otherwise I'm just going to be in this abusive pattern where you're hurting me and then I'm devastated and this whole thing. So sometimes, but, you have, but the point is you have to make a decision that regardless of what your feeling state about that person or about that situation, I'm not staying there anymore. Amen. So now when the feelings of, oh man, if I could just tell him, if I could just hit him, if I could just come up. No, just because I feel it doesn't mean that I haven't forgiven. The, the problem comes in is when you feel it and you don't ride back onto that decision. Yeah. And now you start imagining, yeah, it would be so nice just to, yeah. And I, here's what I would say to him. Yeah, if I could, here's what I would say. And you start saying it. What are you doing? You're feeding your soul the wrong stuff. No, I got to ride back on my decision that, you know, and sometimes for me, it's been really powerful that when I choose to forgive somebody, I write it in my Bible or on a piece of paper that on this date, at this time, at this altar, I forgave that person. 
Why? Because for the rest of my life, when I think of that person, I can go back and say, nope, nope, June 7th, 2001, right there, right there at that church, I stood at that altar and I made a decision and I forgive them and they are forgiven regardless of how I feel. So we have to quit making excuses for our patterns and for our behaviors. Because when we do, we were hurt and now inevitably we hurt those who are around us. So where does your soul need to be led? Everybody's soul's in a different place. There was a person I knew that was going through cancer and they were struggling and I went to visit them and they had coloring books all over their bed and cartoons on the TV. And this was like a grown person. And I was like, oh, how are you doing? <laughs> this is awkward. But they said, here's what the Holy Spirit spoke to them. In this, laugh. Laugh. Yep. Yep. So overcome with what could be and outcomes and treatments and all of this thing. So they made a decision that I'm going to lead my soul into laughter. I'm going to color in coloring books. I'm going to watch comedy shows. Why? But it's, it's so genius because they're, they're, they were so intentional of how they were leading their soul. And maybe some of us, you're such a serious, you're like, we're serious and we're intense and we're like, and sometimes we just, leading our soul is, uh, you know what, I need, to, I need to go hear a comedian. I need to get around some fun people. I need just to laugh because, because I have to lead my soul from being such an intense, tight grip person to just laughing. Sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes you're that carefree, laugh at everything, but your life has no stability and you have to lead your soul into Nope, create a budget, (laughs) look at the numbers, stick to it. Most marriages are made up of the two opposites of that. I won't say which one I am. None your business. Some of your souls need led towards optimism. Some of you need, literally need to stand in front of the mirror every morning and say things like, you know what, it's going to be a good day. And I'm not, I'm not preaching self-help here. I'm preaching the promises of God. This is the day that the Lord has made. And he placed me right here on the earth on this time. And I'm going to look in the mirror and say, it's going to be a good day. Nothing can happen to me today that is outside of God's control. Therefore, because he's in control, I'll rejoice in whatever comes my way. I'm going to be an overcomer today. God is with me and he's for me. Everywhere that I go, he goes. The Holy Spirit is on the inside of me. The same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells mightily in me. What business deal? What boardroom? What circumstance? What problem? problem in a grocery store parking lot is bigger than God at my side today. So I go forward in faith. I go forward in victory. I go forward in knowing who I am because I look in the mirror and I don't define, I'm not defined by what I see or what I feel. I'm defined by the truth of what God said about me and I won't be moved off of it. Some of you need confidence and you just need to start putting some scriptures on your rearview mirror and on your mirror in your bathroom and writing it here and putting it over here. Watch so that every time you turn around, you're just reminded. I told you before, sometimes when I go into intense or meetings that I feel inadequate in or whatever, I'll write it on a piece of scripture, uh, a piece of paper, a scripture that I'm standing on, and I'll put it in my pocket. And the whole time I'm just holding on to that little piece of paper. Why? It's just a reminder to my soul, a reminder to my mind that God is with me. You have to lead your soul. I mentioned the Israelites They walked around for 40 years, what was supposed to be an 11-day journey. But what was their problem? Their problem was that they began to complain and doubt the promises of God. They did not lead their souls very well. But here's what I want you to see. It wasn't God keeping them out of the promised land. That wasn't his plan. What kept them out of the promised land was the condition of their soul. What should have taken them 11 days to come out of Egyptian bondage into the promised land cost them 40 years. A whole generation had to pass away and God said, you can't even go in because your souls are bad. I, I, 
I rained down plagues over Egypt. See, remember I said the Bible says, remember? remember. Yeah. I brought plagues. The firstborn of all the Egyptians died. There were frogs and locusts. The waters turned to blood. You were at the edge of a sea and Pharaoh was chasing you from behind and mountains were on either side. And you just walked through on dry ground. You wake up in the morning and there's manna that you had nothing to do with providing. The shoes on your feet don't wear off and the clothing on your back somehow stays fresh and new. There's literally a cloud leading you by day and fire appearing in the sky by night. But the condition of their soul was so bad that despite all of that, how many of you would like that? Like, I don't even have to know what God wants for me to do. I just follow the cloud. When it gets dark, I just follow the fire. Pretty simple. The condition of their soul was so bad that despite all that God had done, they quickly forgot about it and they begin to say, did God bring us out here just to die? So God said, you can't go in. And it's not because it wasn't a part of his plan. It was because of the condition of their soul. What I'm submitting to you today is we can have all the faith in the world, but if we do not lead our soul, it will keep us going around the same mountain for 40 years and never walking into the fullness of the promise of God. So we have to get this if we're going to be a church that lives by faith. We have to be a church that despite how we feel, despite what's going on, despite what our soul says, we believe the promises of God and take nothing less. Lastly, number three, and team, you can come. Your soul needs to be fed. Your soul needs to be fed. I touched on this a little bit, but again, Paul reminded us to not just crave the milk. Not just crave the bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me, but crave the meat of the word. Which says, refiner's fire, burn out of me anything that's impure. Refiner's fire, change me, correct me. Develop the gifts of not just the outward expressions of the manifestation of the Spirit, but develop the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, meekness, gentleness, self-control. Jesus told his disciples, he was getting ready to send them out to do ministry. This was kind of their big launch. They had watched Jesus before miracles and open blinded eyes and raise dead men and do incredible things. And he's getting ready. He says, now I'm going to send you. You are going to go. You're going to go preach the gospel into the cities. And he gave him a really strange instruction. He says, listen, when you, when you get into a city, when you go into a home and you preach the gospel, if they don't receive it, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go outside that home or go outside that city and I want you to take the shoes off your feet and the cloak that was around your neck and I want you to literally dust off the dust of that house or the dust of that city. Get it off. Get it off. And this is an interesting thing. And for a long time I said, God, why would you have them dust the residue of the city that was unbelieving off? Like, like it was going to affect them if they went into a new city and they had dust from the old. It was just a strange thing. But as I began to study it more and look at it, I realized that Jesus wasn't as concerned about the dust of the city as he was concerned about the rejection that they felt from the city. Because, see, he understood if they weren't careful, if a city rejected them, it could get into their soul. Jesus was rejected all the time. I mean, he got up and opened up the Bible in the temple and said, this is the day of the manifestation of everything you've been believing for. The Messiah is here. And they should have applauded him and shouted and celebrated him. But no, they, they took him out to the bow of the hill and tried to throw him off and kill him. So Jesus knew this well, that when rejection comes, if we're not careful, it'll get into our soul. So it's not that he was concerned necessarily about the dust of the city as giving his disciples something tangible to do to remind themselves that what happened in the city, I got to shake it off. I got to shake it off. 
They haven't forsaken me. They've forsaken God. They, they haven't rejected me. They've rejected the gospel. And sometimes there's that principle of when you come through a hard season or you come through a difficult thing, sometimes you just need to pull a little T-Swift and just shake it off. Come on, somebody. Because if you don't get past it, you'll never go into the next season right. So shake it off. There's another city waiting. I want to say to you today, maybe a friend has hurt you more than you ever thought a friend could hurt you. And I know this is hard. But forgive them, shake it off, and move on. Because if you don't, that rejection will carry through every new friendship. Some of us were desperately hurt in previous relationships or marriages. And you're starting to see the symptoms of comparing this one to that one and believing that this is how it will always be. I'm here to remind you this morning, shake it off. Shake it off. If you don't shake it off, it's going to contaminate where you are now and the blessing that God has for you now. Some of you were wounded and rejected by parents or by some authority over you and it's stayed with you all of your life and I'm here today to let you know that you can make a decision not a soul decision because tomorrow your soul decision will feel different but a spirit decision and that that pain was real the abuse was real it was hard but today I've made the decision to shake it off and to move on stand to our feet. I want to give you a moment today because I believe that God can do incredible things in a moment. I believe he can speak to us in a moment. We can make a spirit decision in a moment. We can bypass soul, mind, will, emotions and have a heart-to-heart connection with God. And I asked the team, I said, I want to sing this bridge today because in this moment... I want you to declare with your mouth, but I want you to believe in your heart. That God's going to reveal to you what those soul things are that have been holding you back. And you're going to read your soul. You're going to lead your soul. And you're going to feed your soul. Come on, somebody. So in this moment, let's begin to sing this together. But don't you get shy on me, lift up your soul. Cause you got a lion inside of those thumbs. Get up and praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So come on, my soul. Don't you get shy on me, lift up your soul. Cause you've got a lion inside of those lungs Get up and praise the Lord Praise the Lord So come on my soul Don't you get shy of me Lift up your soul Cause you've got a lion inside of those lungs Get up that right now in this moment Lord we make a decision in our spirit that we forgive we forgive and we let it go we're not going to talk about it we're not going to stay there we're not going to dwell there oh today in our spirit we're making a decision I will forgive that person I'll move on from it 
Today, we make decisions in our spirit that regardless of how our flesh feels, we won't let go of the horns of the altar of faith. And we will continue to believe God for every promise, for every breakthrough, for the salvation of every unsaved loved one. Regardless of how it feels, regardless of how it looks, regardless of circumstance, we won't back down. We won't give up. We won't quit. Regardless of how we feel tomorrow, regardless of what it looks like on Wednesday, we will hold fast. We will hold true. We will stay. We will stay. We will stay. We will stay. We will stay in faith. We will stay in faith. We will stay in faith. I'll speak to my soul. Get up, my soul. Turn it around, my soul. Praise the Lord, my soul. Shut your mouth, my soul. Listen to God, my soul. Come under submission, my soul. Today's a day of breakthrough. Today's a day of victory. Today's a day of freedom. In the name of Jesus, come on, declare it. Come on, my soul. Come on, my soul. Don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song. Cause you got a lion inside of those arms. Get up and pray. Oh, come on, my soul. Don't you get shy. I'm turning around. 